You're listening to the Restless Wanderer podcast by Paul Coulter, and this is part five of a series in book four of the Psalms. Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. This is a a beautiful little psalm headed a, a psalm for giving thanks. There's so much in this psalm to give thanks to God for. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth is the invitation. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Three statements. This is for all the earth. There is joy to be had and to be expressed to God. There is gladness to be known in the service of God. and That we can come into his presence with singing. So joy, noise, gladness, singing but service at the heart of that as well, that we come to not simply speak to God, but to serve God. But what is it that we have to thank him for? Well, verse three begins, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We can give thanks to God for his creation, for the way he has made us that we are, as another psalm puts it, fearfully and wonderfully made. We are his by creation. We belong to him. Or the footnote says, and not we ourselves. In other words, it's good to remember that we did not create ourselves. No one is a a self-made person. God makes us. And that is good. That means that our lives have purpose and meaning created for a reason. It explains why there is order and the longing for order in both our physical existence and in our emotional and intellectual life as well. God created us. We belong to him. We didn't make ourselves. But we are also his people, the sheep of his pasture, verse 3 says. Of course, those who know God, who are among his people. It's not only that God created us and then set us free to go our own way and and wander wherever we like. He has brought us to a green pasture. He has called us his own. He has gathered us together. He has tended us as a good shepherd. You might think of Psalm 23 and the beautiful description there of God's relationship to us as a shepherd. And of course, the invitation in verse one was to come into God's presence with singing. There's clearly a sense here of the people of God, those who are his sheep, coming to God in worship, coming together and entering into his gates, verse 4, and into his courts, the images of the temple moving in through the gates that surrounded the temple or that uh, gave entry through the wall around the temple into the courts, the court of the Gentiles and, and then on into the court of Israel, the place to come right into the, the the presence of God towards the the throne the cherubim that verse 9 or Psalm 99 said God is enthroned upon 
to enter into that place to give thanks to him and to bless him. Why? Because he is good. We praise God not simply for what he has done, but for who he is in the perfection of his character. And his steadfast love endures forever. Of course, his love is his character. That's who he is, steadfast, unchanging, and his faithfulness to all generations. This is the God who who can be relied upon when we come towards him and come into his presence. We, We never need to doubt that he will be there. We never need to doubt that he will receive our praise. We never need to doubt Uh, that he will be the same person that we have known before. He is unchanging and, and faithful. He will not give up on us. He will not be unfaithful to his covenant. He is faithful across generations. So what do we have to give thanks to God for? Why should we be glad and joyful? Because of who he is, God, the good one. Because of what he has done, he has created us and he has gathered us as as sheep and tended to our needs. And because he is utterly trustworthy and reliable, unchanging, faithful, steadfast in the love that he has lavished upon his people. Let's read then Psalm 101. A Psalm of David. I will sing of steadfast love and justice to you, O Lord, I will make music. I will ponder the way that is blameless. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. A perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. Whoever slanders his neighbour secretly, I will destroy. Whoever has a haughty look and an arrogant heart, I will not endure. I will look with favour on the faithful in the land, that they may dwell with me. He who walks in the way that is blameless shall minister to me. No one who practises deceit shall dwell in my house. No one who utters lies shall continue before my eyes. Morning by morning I will destroy all the wicked in the land, cutting off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. Now this psalm, of course, is different from the last few that we've read. Uh, They don't have an attribution to a particular author, but this is a psalm of David, and you'll recognise some of the themes in David's psalms recurring, uh, particularly his um, personal relationship with God, not only speaking as on behalf of the nation, but speaking individually. And that cry that says, how how long... um, uh, will I? Uh, how long will? When, well, verse two rather. How, when will you come to me? Often it's put as as how long, but that that sense of longing for God, that sense of living in faithfulness with God, but also longing for greater intimacy and for for God to act in His uh, day. And there's also a clear note here that this is written by the the one who is king. The one who. Uh, is um, uh, seeking to rule the nation faithfully. When he talks about the land and his house, he has authority in the land. He wants to be favourable as king, and verse 6 says, towards the faithful so that they will dwell with him. 
to rule on behalf of those who are righteous and faithful, but to take action against those who are unrighteous, destroying the wicked in the land, cutting off the evildoers from the Lord's city, not allowing those who utter lies to continue before his eyes, verse 7, or deceivers to, to dwell in his house, putting away a perverse heart, destroying slanderers and arrogant people. So there is a, a call, a, a desire for righteousness here. This is David who knows the truths that we've been seeing in the last few Psalms, that God rules and he rules in righteousness and equity and will judge. And he, he says he will sing of God's steadfast love. That, of course, came in at the end of Psalm 100. We've just seen that. And of God's justice, singing and making music to him, pondering the way that is blameless and walking with integrity of heart. And that's key, isn't it? That not, it's not only that David will do what is right, will rule with integrity by, by promoting and, and rewarding and protecting the faithful uh, and by judging and punishing those who are sinful. The integrity that he is seeking in the nation has to flow from an integrity of heart. David knows that the most unruly place that he could seek to rule over is his own heart. It's his own life of thinking and emotions and decisions. And so he needs to sing these, these truths about God because by singing them, by making music, they will become internal to him. He will reflect, he will ponder the way that is blameless, verse 2. David knows he needs to commit himself to, to reflection, to constantly stopping and pausing and refocusing on God and allowing the truth of God to soak into his heart, uh, allowing his mind to mull over it, seeking to understand what it would be to act faithfully and do what is right. This, uh, this longing for integrity of heart is very much tied to his longing to know God and to see God, to say, when will you come to me? Well, he wants to be close to God, but he knows that therefore he has to walk with integrity. And verse 3 reminds us that one of the things he needs to do in order to maintain integrity is to be careful about the things that he looks at. He doesn't say, I won't set before my eyes anything that is impure or sinful, although of course that is uh, implicit in what he does say, but what he says is anything that is worthless. The work of those who fall away will not cling to me. In other words, David is aware that there are certainly things that are impure to look upon. But there's another sense in which things that are not impure in themselves might be so worthless. He's not going to uh, spend his time indulging on those things. He will spend his time pondering what is good and right and true. This is a great psalm uh, for somebody who is seeking integrity to pray. And particularly if you have any authority at all, you might be a ruler of a nation or you may not. You might be a manager in a company. You might be a parent in a household. What is it to walk with integrity in your context, to, to use whatever authority you have for the sake of what is good and those who are faithful uh, and not for those who are deceitful? Let's read a third psalm then, Psalm 102. A prayer of one afflicted when he is faint and pours out his complaint 
before the Lord. And before we read that, having read that heading, you'll see that Psalm 100, of course, is a very short expression of praise and thanks to God. Psalm 101 is David, the king, seeking integrity of heart and integrity in his rule. But here now is the, the person who is distressed before God, feeling affliction and crying out to God. So Psalm 102, hear my prayer, O Lord. Let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. For my days pass away like smoke and my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and has withered. I forgot to eat my bread. Because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. I'm like a desert oil of the wilderness, like an oil of the waste places. I lie awake. I am like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. All the day my enemies taunt me. Those who deride me use my name for a curse, for I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink. Because of your indignation and anger, for you have taken me up and thrown me down. My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. You will arise and have pity on Zion. It is the time to favour her. The appointed time has come. For your servants hold her stones dear and have pity on her dust. Nations will fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth will fear your glory. For the Lord builds up Zion. He appears in his glory. He regards the prayer of the destitute and does not despise their prayer. Let this be recorded for a generation to come so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord that he looked down from his holy height. From heaven the Lord looked at the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners to set free those who were doomed to die that they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord and in Jerusalem his praise when peoples gather together and kingdoms to worship the Lord. He has broken my strength in mid-course. He has shortened my days. O oh my God, I say, take me not away in the midst of my days, you whose years endure throughout all generations. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe and they will pass away. But you are the same and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. Concluding uh, verse 28 of Psalm 102. As we've said before, when we're working through the Psalms, the Psalms are incredibly honest about the range of human emotions and the kinds of struggles and questions that go on in the mind of a person who believes in God. That's very reassuring for Christians today because we know that we too have a, a range of emotions, don't we? We have all sorts of questions and struggles, all sorts of needs, all sorts of uh, unanswered questions. And, and we look at a psalm like this and we see that the psalmist is holding together two truths, the truth of God's faithfulness 
God's unchanging nature, God's sovereign rule. And on the flip side, the psalmist's own sense that his days are numbered, that uh, life is is difficult, that his days pass away like smoke, that uh, there's nothing to last from his uh, situation. We don't know how figurative what the psalmist is saying is or how literal it is as a description of his circumstance. Certainly there's a sense of loss of, of weight and bones burning. It sounds like pain in verse 3, but also a heart that is struck down in verse 4. A loss of appetite, the, the skin clinging to the bones um, in verse 5 suggests that loss of weight that comes from advancing disease. So perhaps this is someone who has a, a chronic disease, a disease that is uh, leading to death in that terminal decline. Maybe you have walked with somebody through that or perhaps you're even walking through that yourself and this psalm may echo for you. The idea that the psalmist says, let my cry come to you, don't hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Perhaps this is the day of your distress or the day of distress for someone who you love. Uh, and the desperation of saying, answer me speedily when I call, verse 2. The psalmist is like a, an, a bird in the, in the desert, desert isle. Verse 6, like an oil of the waste places. You'll notice from the footnotes that we're not sure exactly which birds are in view there uh, in the um, the Hebrew, uh, but certainly this idea of, of birds that are flitting about in a place where there is so little food to be had, like a lonely sparrow on the housetop, lying awake. There's a sense of anxiety, a sense of a, a burden, and then a sense of, of enmity, verse 8, again, is this literal or not? Is the enemy the, the disease or is the language that sounds like a physical disease really referring to the emotional turmoil that comes from being betrayed or misunderstood, which is a, a deep, deep pain? So perhaps this psalm might resonate with you if that's your circumstance or if you're walking with somebody who has had that experience. The idea, verse 9, of eating ashes like bread and mingling tears with his drink. And then verse 10 very honestly says that it's God who has brought this upon him in his indignation and anger, lifting him up and throwing him down. Now, I don't know whether God was, whether the psalmist is right to blame God for his circumstances. Perhaps it is true that God had brought that about as a, a judgment on some sin that the psalmist had committed. Or perhaps that's simply how it felt to the psalmist. Remember, these are the words of people to God, not always the words that God would speak to those people. But it's a very real feeling that God himself must be against me, that God has brought judgment upon me, that he lifted me up or took me up and threw me down. And that perhaps gives the sense of a, a person who thought that God was about to lift them up, to save them, to rescue them from the circumstance only to be found that God's cast them down on the ground. But 
The psalmist knows that although his days are in evening shadow, withering away like grass, God, verse 12, is enthroned forever and remembered through all generations. The psalmist is now looking beyond his own circumstances, lifting his eyes up in that sense to look at the eternal God, the one who reigns forever, the one who uh, is uh, who, who will live long beyond the days of the psalmist uh, and has lived long before them. God will arise, the psalmist says, verse 13. You see the contrast, you took me up and threw me down, verse 10. But God will arise and have pity on Zion. Again, the question, is this psalm all about the suffering of an individual or is it about the suffering of God's people collectively at a time in their history when they were under oppression? But the psalmist says it's time to favour her. The appointed time has come. God's servants treat even the stones and the dust of Zion as precious and something to be pitied, verse 14. And the longing of the psalmist is that nations will fear the name of the Lord. The kings of the earth will fear his glory because God will build Zion up and appear in glory. He will regard the prayer of the destitute and not despise their prayer. Again, this constant longing of the people of faith in Israel that God would act not only for their good, but for his own glory and that the nations would see that and join them in the praise of God. But the psalmist says, let it be recorded for a generation to come, verse 18. He's aware that this intervention of God, this restoration of Zion might not come in his lifetime. But he wants future generations to know this psalm of despair and of faith that he has written to God so that they can praise God, a people yet to be created. That they will know that God looked down, that God looked at the earth, that he heard the groans of the prisoners, that there were people who had prayed faithfully to him for the deliverance that he would bring. David, uh, The psalmist rather wants uh, people to declare the name of God and his praise in Zion for the peoples to gather together and kingdoms to worship the Lord, verses 21 and 22. In that sense, the psalmist is writing these words down for us, for our benefit. We who live now at a time when people from all nations are praising and worshipping the God of Israel through his son, the Lord Jesus. The psalmist longed for that. We get to see it. But for the psalmist himself, God has broken his strength in mid-course. It senses that this is a, a young man, not a man who is old, but his days have been shortened. He asks that God would deliver him, not take him away. Verse 24, in the middle of his days, God, the one whose years endure, could give him life, sustain his life. God, who laid the foundation of the earth and who worked in the heavens, could, could hold on to him. God, who will not perish who won't wear out like the heavens themselves, who, who simply can change the heavens like a robe, the one who is the same and whose years have no end. This God could prolong the life of the psalmist, but whether he does or not, the, the psalm ends on a note of faith. It says, the children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. The concern here is not simply with his own life, but with the legacy that will come after him, with God's faithfulness to future generations. 
So it's a poignant psalm, a, a painful psalm in some ways, the person whose life is ebbing away, but looking to the eternal God and his eternal purposes.